Welcome to Jade Explains Death, a place where the more morbid the curiosity, the better. We'll be confronting the one thing humans fear most, death. Each episode will be dedicated to a manner of death, and I will paint a vivid picture of how each would feel, as well as share some of the darkest yet most interesting real-life stories. Get ready, because we're about to embark on an adventure now. Welcome back, loves, to another death exploration. I hope that you all had an amazing holiday. This week, we are going to tackle a couple of natural disasters. These are things that are quite terrifying, mainly because they are 100% out of our control and can do the kind of damage that cannot be touched by humankind. My content may be upsetting to some and for a mature audience. Listener discretion advised. When I was a little girl, I was petrified of storms. Even just little thunderstorms had me hiding under my blanket, plugging my ears. But then something really strange happened. I don't know if even my therapist would be able to figure this one out. I became so fascinated by storms that I spent a couple years as a very, very amateur storm chaser. And I had pretty bad luck at it too. I never once got to film an actual tornado. I remember one day in particular, I spent a good nine hours driving to get on the tail of one. Meteorologists were really hammering away at the fact that the conditions were ideal. But long story short, no tornado was ever detected in the area, and one touched down about 25 miles from where I lived. I felt like a gambling addict. The drive home was so quiet. I was with two other people, and we were just so pumped. But that is how storm chasing goes. It is very much a gamble. You try to pick a place that you think will bring you success and you hop in the car and go. Now, looking back, I realize that I was incredibly reckless. We weren't driving around in a sturdy truck or vehicle meant for this sort of thing. Sometimes we were in my Maxima or my friend's old truck and my Maxima was a hunk of junk. So I was lucky that I didn't end up completely stranded somewhere. My storm seeking days are over. However, when the sirens go off in my area, it takes everything in my power to not take off on foot to try and spot a funnel cloud. We are obviously going to begin with tornadoes. The deadliest tornado in US history was the Tri-State Tornado. There are many factors that go into deciding what the most dangerous tornadoes are, but of course, the biggest factors are the strength and size as well as the population of the areas hit. You can have a monster NATO hit a vast wide open field, but if no animals or people end up in the path, it isn't going to make the list. This doozy hit in 1925 and it just wouldn't die. It traveled from southeastern Missouri all the way through southern Illinois and into Indiana. It completely leveled entire towns and the death toll was staggering. When this crazy storm system sprouted up, the people of Missouri were shell-shocked. The weather forecast was for a clear, calm day. Additionally, nobody ever really forecasted tornadoes in those days. The actual word tornado was banned from weather forecasts in the U.S. at the time for some incredibly stupid reason. Tornado sirens wouldn't be implemented for another 45 years. This system created at least 12 whopping tornadoes in total. The first fatality befell a farmer who was more or less smacked in the face by this twister. It materialized right near his farm field, and by the time he realized what was happening, it was too late. He couldn't outrun this monster. The specific details are hazy, but some say that it scooped him up and threw him into oblivion. Others say that he was struck by sharp flying debris. Regardless, he was having a no good, very bad day. Next, this sucker sped quickly towards the mining town of Annapolis, Missouri. Only two known fatalities occurred in that area, but nearly all of the town was completely leveled in just a few minutes. 
The strong storm continued ravaging on in different areas of Missouri, and then it arrived in Bollinger County. One of the most frightening things that could happen, happened. This twister basically piledrived two full schools. Most of the kids luckily were able to survive the ordeal, but 32 were badly injured. Two children were killed immediately in the storm, and another died as a result of severe injuries one week later. Additionally, several farms were wiped out, leaving the area's economy to suffer severely for years to come. Once arriving in Perry County, a double funnel developed. Double is always trouble when it comes to storms. It really began growing in power when it settled into southern Illinois. It didn't leave a tree with full bark, and the entire grounds were basically scoured and destroyed in any rural areas, which was most of the areas touched. When it hit the water-bordering town of Gorham, it wiped it from the map. I mean, nothing remained. Train tracks were ripped up and tossed. 99% of the structures were leveled, and over half of the town either obtained serious life-threatening injuries or just straight up died. It then continued heading in a straight line at 62 miles per hour or 100 kilometers towards Murfreesboro, which was a pretty big coal shipping center. It was really up and coming. The southeastern side of town was very densely populated. Tragically, that was the area hit the worst. It wasn't just a home here or there leveled, but entire neighborhoods were destroyed. Some were just completely gone. Another school was slammed hard, killing 17 students and next... It smashed into a railroad shop where there was no place for people to find safety. 35 people that were inside were killed. Once the tornado departed, it left behind lines and lines of large fires. First responders couldn't get around to help people, which made everything so much more stark. Those fires unfortunately dished out the most unforgiving deaths. People who were completely stuck beneath debris and likely already injured burned alive. 188 people died just from the storm, but 623 were left severely injured with another 46 dying in the following hours or days. These storms continued to just go and go for miles and miles. The total death toll is difficult to pin down, but it is somewhere near the 700 mark. This storm also caused economies to buckle, and it was felt nationwide. With so many mining towns hit, it put a hamper on several industries, and a big majority of farming communities hit had to regrow or just completely relocate. I can imagine that it felt almost post-apocalyptic for so many in the months and even years following. The thing about storms is they do not discriminate. They do not think wherever they hit, they hit. And we are fools if we believe that we can ever fully prepare for any unexpected natural disaster. I'm from Wisconsin and I lived on a base, so I used to joke that it was the place that storms went to die. The strange thing is, since I was a little girl, people are seeing more and more actual tornadoes touch down in the area. Our biggest worry used to be wind chills, snow, and ice storms. Tornado Alley is either shifting or just straight up growing in width. Realistically, tornadoes can happen pretty much anywhere. The only continent to never once see a single twister is Antarctica, which is no big shocker. Tornadoes are graded on a scale to measure their size and danger, but that is rarely helpful to anyone in the thick of it. You have an EF0 to EF1, which has wind speeds of 65 to 110 miles per hour. These are typically mostly deadly to people on foot in the immediate path, but occasionally trailer homes and tents can be in serious danger as well. An EF2 and EF3 are considered strong twisters, and they bring raging winds of 111 to 165 miles per hour. Then there are violent storms. You never want to come face to face with one of these puppies. You will lose the battle every single time. EF4 and EF5 twisters have winds closer to 200 miles per hour and above. 
My home state of Wisconsin has three recorded behemoth twisters with wind speeds over 260 miles per hour. So what exactly does that mean? What can these monsters do? 60% of all tornadoes are classified as weak, but that doesn't mean that they won't ruin your day or worse. They tend to be short-lived, but they can rip up vegetation, essentially destroying crops, and can do superficial damage to most sturdy structures. They can also pick up debris. Though classified as weak, they can still turn nails and scaffolding into speeding bullets that can penetrate your soft tissue. The twisters closer to EF1 can flip cars and even knock semis over. This is why you should never be like me, stupidly chasing after funnel clouds. Strong twisters, so EF2 and 3, are more fierce than your typical tropical cyclone. These can rip entire roofs from homes and might even take huge chunks of the structure itself. They will blow out glass and windows, which again, can turn to uber-sharp speeding bullets that can become embedded in your flesh or much deeper down. And this alone is responsible for fatalities. Once you are closer to the top end of EF3, most structures don't really have much of a prayer. This is when you start to see entire neighborhoods leveled and just heaping piles of decrepit debris remaining. Of course, the violent NATOs do it all. They can rip your house up as if sucked into a blender. They can certainly make mincemeat of any human or animal caught in their wake. They can last for hours and pick up massive amounts of debris to the point where it actually does feel like you're stuck inside of a high-powered ninja juicer. An EF5 can make your entire house disappear forever along with you inside of it. Though, if you are in a largely populated area, chances are high that at least pieces of you will be found eventually. These bad boys can toss McMansions miles away. They can even undo all the recent road work. New and old asphalt can be torn and carried far away. They can even make skyscrapers twist and distort as if it is some new macabre art form. Luckily, these storms are incredibly rare. There have only been 62 EF5 twisters worldwide in historical records. So that brings us to how exactly will these things kill us, and what would that be like? There are some strange things that go on inside of tornadoes. They are not a place where us humans can dwell safely, even if they are void of flying debris, and manage to safely throw us onto a still-inflated jumbo bounce house. While stuck inside of a rotation, breathing will feel incredibly difficult. This, of course, will not help your already insane panic. The conditions are very similar to attempting to breathe at an altitude of 26,000 feet or 7,925 meters. This is just a touch below the altitude of Mount Everest's summit. Considering the amount of frozen solid bodies that are still stuck littering the slopes of Everest, this is clearly not a great environment for us humans. The reason for this is the decline in air pressure. We need a stable air pressure because it pushes our air molecules closer together. When they are farther apart, that means less oxygen with each inhale. So this can easily lead to hypoxia, or inadequate oxygen to tissue and vital organs, and can cause hypoxic brain injury, and fast. Hypoxic brain injury can lead to brain death and, of course, respiratory failure. When your brain goes wonky and can no longer function properly, all of your reflex actions are threatened. Things like swallowing and breathing are triggered by our brainstem. If the brain is completely dead, those actions are as well. Additionally, it will feel pretty frigid inside of a tornado. If you live in the Midwest, it may not feel so shocking, but majority of twisters drop to 55 degrees Fahrenheit or 13 degrees Celsius or less. And this is true even if it is hot as hell outside. The strange thing is, you won't have a particular moment where you are unable to breathe, at least if you are caught up in a weaker twister. Instead, you will feel an immense pressure against your chest walls if you are wearing a heavy confining lead vest. You are still technically drawing in oxygen. It is just a lower amount than what you need. 
This does amplify anxiety and provides a deep impending sense of doom. Your head will begin to feel almost as if it is swelling up or filling with gases. Your sense of clarity will wane. You might even experience a sensation similar to being intoxicated. If you have ever lived or visited an area that has freezing cold winters, you have likely experienced sensations similar on a much smaller scale, or if you've ever jumped into icy cold waters. The moment you hit that water, you'll feel as if the cold is trying to suck the air right out of you. Your body might react with an involuntary gasp that sounds really violent, like a groan of death or rapidly deflating balloon. Inside of a strong twister, between the dangerously low air pressure and forceful upward winds, a vacuum effect is created. Some are strong enough to actually suck the air right out of you. If that is the case, then you are in for the process of asphyxiation right out of the gate. Though it is technically possible to breathe inside of some smaller twisters for a short time, if it is big, you will never get that chance. This will likely be the closest thing you could ever experience on Earth that is similar to a space vacuum. Though space vacuum comes along with many other nasty side effects. Have you ever watched one of those adrenaline-pumping, storm-chasing shows? If you've ever watched just a few, you are likely familiar with the TIV, or Tornado Intercept Vehicle. Those vehicles are decked out with bells and whistles that allows it to anchor to the ground in order to withstand being in place as a tornado sweeps right over it. What many amateur storm chasers do not realize is the fact that there is a need to have a physical before performing any tornado intercepting stunts. Of course, your doctor is going to try to talk you out of it regardless. You have to make sure that your thumper, lungs, and vascular systems in tip-top shape. The atmosphere that will sweep over the vehicle can induce a catastrophic asthma attack and can even rupture aneurysms. Of course, you would have to have one in the first place. Majority of the time, it's only a few short moments that they are inside of that environment. But if they are already a ticking health time bomb, they can have an adverse reaction that might even bring death. If you die inside of a tornado, it will be from one of two things in all likelihood, hypoxia or blunt force trauma from flying debris. Sometimes people miraculously survive the actual twister itself. If they are caught up in it for any length of time, they will eventually nod out due to the start of hypoxia, so that's good news, I suppose. Surviving being thrown from one is a whole other story. There are a few supposed records of people living to tell the tale, but many can't be confirmed. Knowing what I know, though, about people falling from great heights or withstanding major forces or impacts, I can say that it is for sure possible, and I guess likely has happened at least a couple of times, but they are definitely the minority. Your chances of first surviving the environment and flying debris inside and also surviving being thrown like a human cannonball are minuscule. If one doesn't get you, the other likely will. Hopefully, that monster will wait to toss you after you've already fallen unconscious. If you haven't, the next best thing would be to die on impact. Considering how fast these suckers can spin, that is honestly likely what would happen. Forces like that can damn near liquefy your insides. Now for the fun part. Your organs will basically explode upon deceleration or sudden stop to moving. This is what will bring your instant death. In all of these specific cases that I have studied of people either dying as a result of being bucked from a tornado or free falling from a great height, 97% all had ruptured vital organs of some kind. Also, every single one had severely fractured ribs. There were an array of other bad breaks, including the skull, jaw, cervical spine, and many others, but the constant in each was broken ribs. At least 60% had severe hemorrhage or bleeding in their brain that would have been fatal in itself. So in short, if swept up inside of a tornado, the worst likely scenario will be that you are alert for a bulk of it, 
where you experience immense chest constriction, impending sense of doom, severe burning in your throat as if gargling lava, and severe headache as you slowly suffocate. I think we need to talk about a deadly natural disaster that just doesn't get enough attention. After all, like I said, I'm from the Midwest and I'm very aware of how flipping miserable these can be. I'm talking about blizzards. Of course I need to kick it up a notch, so let me tell you about the deadliest blizzard to occur on Mount Everest, and the story of the climbers who had to contend with feeling like their limbs were dipped in acid and then freeze-dried from severe frostbite, and who had to fall to their terrifying death due to severe ice and winds. This horrifying storm occurred in May 1996. It wiped out eight climbers, making it one of the deadliest seasons on Mount Everest. It's known today as the Mount Everest disaster because little can touch the unthinkable terror unleashed on those eight people. We have seen even deadlier seasons in recent years, but it isn't due to a ravaging blizzard. It's due to the desperation of instructors and guides trying to provide for their families and the sheer number of daredevils wanting to make the trek. One of the biggest reasons for deaths now is still, of course, avalanches and the crowded number of people who take the journey at any given time. There is actually a brilliantly acted movie based on this disaster called Into Thin Air. I highly recommend giving it a watch, but have tissue on hand. It has some serious heart-wrenching scenes. It will also get your adrenaline pumping, without a doubt. First, we need to understand the conditions on Mount Everest. This is no place for a human to be. The trek itself can take months. A big bulk of the middle weeks are used to go up and down, up and down to establish camps and acclimate the body to the harsh conditions. There's an area on Everest that is starkly known as the death zone. This area is above 26,000 feet altitude or 7,925 meters. And there are likely at least 200 frozen solid bodies still there scattered around this zone, mainly because people would likely die trying to bring them down. There have been a few successful body recovery missions, but most people are simply not reckless enough to even attempt it. Before you even have a chance to reach the death zone, death is just lurking all around. People load into small aircrafts just to arrive and landing can be tricky. The landing spaces are often tiny and any amount of winds can kick up powdery snow, making visibility difficult. In 2008, one of these planes experienced a serious incident when it burst into flames. Everyone on board burned alive, with the exception of the pilot, who somehow managed to escape the craft before the fireball could consume him. Even the base camp, set up throughout the mountain, can bring a frigid hell. They are typically set up on large glaciers, but the weather can change at the drop of a hat. There have been instances of avalanches wiping out entire tents of people while they slept because the winds just drastically changed directions. Additionally, the altitude of these camps is usually around just below 18,000 feet, or 5,486 meters, and this can cause pulmonary edema or fluid retention in the lungs, so you have to be in tip-top shape to even survive that area. But once you get inside of the death zone, you will feel like you have entered some alien land. It will remind you, frequently, that you have no business being there. Many experience extreme hallucinations, dizziness, anxiety, and severe vertigo. In fact, Everyone experiences this on some level, without oxygen tanks, which many climbers decide to go without to add a layer of badassery, you will inevitably experience hypoxia. It is just a matter of if you can survive it. Many of the people forever entombed on Everest likely experienced severe brain swelling. Kind of like in a tornado, the air molecules are very far apart. One man who trained tirelessly and was in amazing physical shape said, that being on Everest in the death zone is like running full blast on a treadmill, but only breathing through a tiny straw. Then there is the brutal cold. 
This is not your ordinary cold. This is painful like thick needles are piercing you all over instantly. In January, the death zone can drop to negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 60 degrees Celsius. If you have any skin that is open to this torment, it will begin to form frostbite almost immediately. Many climbers have died simply from freezing to death, like one woman known as Sleeping Beauty. She got her nickname because her skin took on an artificial glossy hue as if she were a doll. Her eyes are completely shut and she is perfectly preserved like all of the bodies due to the low temperatures. She simply looks like she is resting. You can imagine that with these elacious conditions, a gnarly blizzard would be the straw that broke the camel's back. And you would be correct. This puts forth nearly impossible and insurvivable conditions. When that blizzard blast developed, many climbers were out trekking the mountain. Snow easily turned to BBs being shot at 70 miles per hour, which stings simply like being shot over and over with a BB gun. The treacherous winds and loose just fallen snow increases the already high risk of avalanche. Also, as far as visibility goes, forget about it. There is none. Those climbers no doubt felt like they were trapped inside of a violent, dense snow globe. It was a complete whiteout. When you are traversing narrow peaks, you need to be able to see where the hell you are going. Some of those eight climbers that were already out exploring were lost forever. They will likely never be found. There are steep drops all over. It is almost like the earth opens its mouth wide open and swallows people whole up there. The climbers who didn't fall surely froze to death. That is a death packed with sensations that often gets compared to burning alive. You basically take the same level of utter hell that burning alive brings, but you spread that pain out over a longer period. It is pretty damn tough to know which would be better or worse. They are kind of dead equal. In the early stage of freezing to death, your body begins constricting blood flow in an attempt to divert it to your vital organs. Your respirations and heart rate speed up. This increases your blood pressure. This is the point where you will begin to uncontrollably shiver. Your body and brain is fighting to preserve that heat. Your fingers and toes will be the first to begin burning, and that is because blood flow is being diverted away from them first. You will lose function and movement. At first, it will be difficult to make a fist or wiggle them, but eventually, they may as well be dead and they are well on their way. It literally feels as if a high heat iron has stamped down on them. As the danger progresses, every drop of color will drain away from your pallor. Your entire hands, feet, and face are really beginning to feel the searing. Your severe burns seem to be spreading. Your muscles will malfunction all over. They will seize up, offering the feeling of an intense Charlie horse, but everywhere. Your internal body temperature is beginning to tank. This is really when the process of death begins due to hypothermia. Around the time that your extremities turn blue, you will begin to fade. You might have severe hallucinations. People in this stage on Everest have been witnessed having conversations with someone or something that isn't really there. People don't make any sense when they speak and they often repeat the same statements over and over as if stuck on a loop or a skipping record. Right near the end, when Father Death is already in view, you will have an undying need to remove your clothing. Every single blood vessel is dilating in your body. This is a last-ditch effort by your body and brain to save you. It is actually quite miraculous if you think about it. Being atop Mount Everest, unfortunately, offers very little hope of it being successful. As these vessels dilate, it creates an overwhelming warmth felt all over the skin and body. I can imagine what a relief that would offer at first, even though your full system is shutting down. 
Once this happens, you will not have the ability or energy to move much. Many people found have only one arm out of their jacket because it is all that they could muster. On top of Mount Everest in the death zone, this entire process can unfold in a few short minutes. The really tragic thing is, a few of the bodies appear to be people who crawled inside of tiny caves to just rest their head for a moment, but they never woke up. You just cannot afford to lay down to rest in the death zone. Once you fall asleep, you are dead. If you have a strong stomach and curiosity like me, there are some very interesting photos. You can find them just right on Google of the bodies on Mount Everest. I mean, they are dead bodies, but they almost look more like wax figures. It's disturbing in its own right. So, you know, if you are into that sort of thing, definitely take a gander. This insanity of the storm unearthed huge icy avalanches that could easily crush people to death or completely knock them off of tiny paths or steep slopes. The winds made all areas unrecognizable, causing climbers to end up lost forever. The increased frigid bite of the winds induced rapid breathing, causing some to hyperventilate and grow completely dazed. This may have sparked some really poor decision-making. And some likely just slipped or stepped onto something that didn't actually exist. Regardless, it was a terror-soaked experience through and through. Going through numerous winters that were well below zero, I have personally come to the conclusion that if hell does exist, it isn't burning. It is freezing cold. These climbers got way more than they bargained for. They jumped at the opportunity to become a statistic. Their bodies are still stuck up there, somewhere. Some have been located and some still haven't been found and may never be. They are no doubt perfectly preserved and pristine from the temperature, each likely experienced their own brand of death, and some were more forgiving than others. Thank you so much, my true crime cupcakes, for joining me for another death exploration. I am back from my break now, so I will have an all-new episode each week, and as always, if you have any requests, feel free to drop me an email. I will have my email listed in the description. So, I will see you next week.